Hey everybody and welcome to Learning From Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I don't know if I've formally done this yet, but I would like to officially welcome all of my listeners to the beginning of year number two of Learning From Smart People. I, it's hard for me to imagine that we are actually there, but we are starting the second year. The show's already over a year old. It's amazing to me. I, I can't believe that we're here already, but you guys are the ones that have made it worth it. You guys have been here for the entire journey, and I really I appreciate you. I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for making this worthwhile, and I hope that you have learned as much as I have and that you've enjoyed this as much as I have because it's been a really fun journey. My smart person today is Cherie Prentice, and um, I have to actually say, you know, not only is she Cherie Prentice, she is Dr. Cherie Prentice. So she is um, much more educated than I am, but she is a proven visionary, a best-selling author, and highly sought-after physician leader. She is an occupational and environmental medicine physician. She's a public health expert and a breast cancer survivor who shares her story, her voice, her life, and her victory in awe-inspiring and motivational ways. Cherie, welcome to the show. Rob, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I just want to kind of jump right into this because your story is a story. You had a promising medical career and things kind of didn't work out as you intended. Can you, uh, my understanding is you kind of, you had this vision from when you were a kid of what you wanted to be. Can you tell us the story of, how it started, what you wanted to be, and then kind of where things went. Absolutely. I have wanted to be a physician ever since I was two years old. Um, back in the days when I was a toddler, there was a show called Marcus Welby. And I used to climb in bed with my parents and watch the show all the time. And they tell me the story. I don't remember it at two. I just know that the desire to be a physician has been present with me all my life. But they stated that there was this one particular episode uh, when I was in bed with them. I stood up and I announced to them, I know what I want to be when I grow up. So my mom said, you do? What is it? And I said, I want to be a doctor. So, you know, of course, my parents, yay. And so my dad asked the question, well, why? And I gave them two simple answers. The first one was, I want to help people. They were very proud of that. And the second one was, I wanted to make a lot of money. So apparently, <laughs> apparently, I could see that Marcus Welby apparently must have been living well because I associated being a physician with making a lot of money. I can tell you that I did the first one 110%. That second one I'm still working on. So having quote unquote made a lot of money, but I have devoted my my entire life, meaning I, you know, straight A's in school, honor student, all the extracurricular activities, doing everything right uh, from what my parents told me needed to be done as a young black female born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Sheree, if that's what you want to do, you got to be committed and you got to stay focused. So I did. And I became a physician. I became a physician and I loved it. And I, I worked in that field and helped thousands and tens of thousands, if you include family members as well. Uh, and I did that for 15 years until October 1st, 2008. That's when everything changed. I found a mass in my right breast and it was cancer. Mm. And I underwent a partial mastectomy 15 rounds of chemotherapy, and 33 treatments of radiation. 
And by 2010, although I had completed all of my treatment, I had continued to work, only missing three days of work for surgery, I developed a condition called lymphedema, Mm. which is a real significant complication. About one in three at-risk cancer patients will develop um, lymphedema related to their cancer treatment. And and we weren't really sure of what the incidence rates were when I was first diagnosed, but we're certainly aware of them now. But what that meant was without having the real numbers of how prevalent uh, this disease was, there weren't precautions that should have been taken. Um, and I ended up with uh, chronic swelling of my right arm, hand, and fingers. And it's on my right side and I'm right-handed. Okay. So the swelling made it impossible for me to perform the clinical functions of my job. And now after 16 years of practice in clinical medicine, I had to give it all up because I was disabled. Wow. So that's gotta be a very, a very difficult time for you because this is what you have lived your whole life minus the first two years um, uh, 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 wanting to do, you've achieved it. You're seeing the results of what you're doing. And now all of a sudden it's, you can't do this the way that you used to do this. How did you feel about this? It's got to affect your self image. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I, I share it all the time. There, I've, I've encountered individuals that can come across uh, very traumatic and dramatic events in their lives and it sh- they shut down. They don't share. And I'm grateful for the fact that I'm just the opposite. I will shout it to the mountaintops, especially when I'm on the other side, because people need to understand they see the strength now. But there wasn't strength then when it first happened. Mm. And so people will say, oh, you're strong. You can get through it uh, without appreciating that there were moments of weakness that they never saw. And so when this first happened to me, it rocked me to my core because while I was going through chemotherapy, my mom died. I was the executor of her estate. And then I flipped to taking care of my dad. I was recently divorced. I had two children that I and my ex-husband were co-parenting, but my life was in the balance as I'm watching my mom die. And so to get past all of that and in your mind be prepared to, oh, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to put this behind me. I'm going to share my story on an as-needed basis, and I'm going to keep it moving to now find out there is no more movement for you. Everything that you've wanted and worked for for your entire lifetime was stripped away in a second, in an instant. And I mean, and not only did I become disabled from my clinical practice, but my boss at the time, who was not a physician, uh, brought me into his office and I'm expecting good news. I'm expecting that Cherie, we found a way to continue you in your administrative role and we're going to get a, you know what, a, a newly graduated resident to do the clinical work. I'm expecting a solution. He brought me into his office and he said, Cherie, a physician who is not clinically capable is of no value to me. And in that moment, I was 42 years old at the time. And after everything I had been through, the only thing I could hear was that I had no value. And so, Rob, I went in, I sunk into deep depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through the motions to take care of my children, to do what needed to be done by my dad, to to, to take care of the, the last minute things that needed to be done with my mom's estate. But I was not in a in a mental capacity to make major decisions because there was so much for me to grieve. But I had not 
grieved it properly. You know, my diagnosis, losing my hair, losing my mom, losing half my right breast, losing a career. I needed the opportunity to properly grieve all of that loss so that I could put things in perspective, pick myself back up, be thankful for what I had, and now create a new vision to move forward. You know, it listening to your story, it, it just, I see a, a lot of things there that I've, I've been through myself and, and um, but it reminds me of this. It, I wrote my, in my second book called mm-hmm. Still Falling, I wrote a story called Dream Snatcher, okay? And the, I'll give you the thumbnail sketch of it was, I was having a wonderful dream and my wife woke me up, okay? And, and I was like, this was the best dream ever and my wife stole it from me. What, like, no, this doesn't work. I want my dream back. And so for the next few nights, maybe weeks, I was trying to get that dream back and I never did. And it wasn't for a little while until I realized, you know what, dream a new dream. Like you, you can let go of the old one and you can dream a new one and you can, it, it's okay to move forward. And that kind of, I feel like for you, in some ways that's, that's right where you were, that you have this thing, this is what you've been dreaming your whole life. And now that has been snatched from you. And the question is, do you choose to say, I want my old dream back? Or do you choose to say, I'm going to dream a new dream? How does that sound to you? That is so incredibly powerful because when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, and it was more so for my children than it was so for me, I wanted them to have so much more uh, than what I had the opportunity to experience. And so I knew I had to get myself together for them. But when I tried to figure out what in the world was I going to do, there was a, it was a block initially because I, I stopped and I thought, and I said, the only thing I've ever wanted to do, planned to do, knew how to be was a doctor. How do I become anything but a doctor? But then I heard, I'm telling you, Rob, just as sure as I hear your voice in this interview, I heard a voice and it said, live. And I I thought, well, clearly I'm doing that. But what does that mean? Over the course of a couple of weeks, live just began to be spelled out to me. And live became for me to love myself and others, to inspire those around me to voice my dreams and ambitions, and to enjoy life. So now how could I create something that would allow me to carry on a new vision, dream a new dream, provide food and sustenance for my children, but yet at the end of the day, allow me to live and to live with joy. I had gotten to a place, I wasn't sweating the small stuff. I wasn't going to just take a job just to bring in income. It had to be something of value. It had to be something that was going to change and impact individuals' lives. And so with hearing that the, the word live, and then it became fuller. It became live today and every day. And so now I stopped and I realized, well, what what are you good at, Cherie? Clearly, as you can see, I got a big mouth and I don't mind talking. (laughs) Well, you got a lot of good stuff to say, though, so it's okay. (laughs) And I thought, well, you know what? Different churches and different women's groups, uh, different cancer support groups, I I had been putting different uh, little pearls of wisdom, if you will, out on social media that was available at the time. And so different ones picked up on that. 
and they would ask me to come and talk, sometimes small audiences, sometimes large audiences, sharing my experience of what I went through, how I dealt with it, what it meant for me, what what was this unique perspective as a physician and a patient, and what could I offer that could help change someone else's life. And I found that when I shared my story, it had such a major and powerful impact. People who were at Crossroads had the letter, the suicide letter with them, with every intention. Friend invited them to this event. They honored the friend's request. They came to the event, but they were going home, gonna leave out the suicide letter and just go home, just be done. But because they were in the audience, when they heard my keynote, they changed their mind. And so those first few events didn't come with um, a keynote speaker's fee. It came it came with me just giving of myself. I didn't know how to ask for a speaker's fee. I didn't know how really to quote unquote, become a professional speaker. But I found that sharing my story brought me joy. So that's what I did. And so I would speak. Sometimes I would be given an honorarium. Sometimes I would, you know, if it's a church organization, they would collect an offering. But then it was actually my accountant that helped give me perspective. And he said, Cherie, well, he actually calls me Dr. Cherie. He says, Dr. Cherie, I'm looking at, you You know, everything here and, you know, you're always so giving and you always counsel me and I so enjoy our conversations. But listen, um, you need to make some money. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know what? I, I, I don't know how to formalize this. And he right. said, well, you need to. And so with that, I took a step back. I did research. I found out the best organization to join in order to hone my skill, to perfect my skill, to take it seriously. I researched branding, rebranding, creating my own brand name. I researched in advertising and marketing and what's the best strategy. So I create a whole new uh, vision and path for me. And that was to create my own healthcare consulting business, because I still had a wealth of medical knowledge that companies uh, still vied for and still needed. And then I realized that in speaking, I enjoyed. So instead of just being a speaker, Sheree, become a professional speaker, a recognized, certified professional uh, speaker, a, a, rather a certified speaking professional. Um And so I joined the National Speakers Association, went through all of the certification, and there are less than 600 CSPs in the world. And so I didn't just want to do it and step on a stage and call myself a keynoter or professional speaker without having um, the credentials and the training behind me. And so that's how I picked up my picked up my bootstraps, strapped them up and realized, go for what you are gifted in and have a talent for. Okay, so I, I just want to give you some perspective as I'm listening to your story, okay? Because what were the two things that you said you wanted to do when you were two years old? I wanted to help people and I wanted to make a lot of money. Okay, so when your ability to help people as a doctor, you thought that is the only way that I can help people I, by being a doctor and now what are you doing as a speaker? I am helping people with my voice. Yes. Changing and, lives with my story. And 
And if you, you know, as a CSP, as a member of NSA, as all of those things, you're finding, I'm hoping that you're finding that your, your earning capabilities are, they're not way out of line with a doctor because what you've got is you've got a powerful message that is actually helping people. I, I think this is a really important thing that I want all of my listeners to understand. So many times we define ourselves by what we do as an occupation, okay? And we have to learn who we are as a person. And so what you learned is whatever arena I'm in, I'm Cherie and I help people and that's what I do. And I can do that as a doctor. I can do that as a speaker. I can do that when I'm talking to people. When I'm writing my book, it's going to help people. That's who I am. That's what I do. And the cool thing is that it's kind of whatever the venue is, whatever the, the creative outlet is for who you are to come through, that's ultimately what allows you to be yourself. And so you, you kind of have to come to that understanding. Who am I? What do I do? And then how do I find a place for that to happen? Does that make sense to you at all? It makes total sense because one of the things that I find myself sharing with uh, particular audiences when I'm asked to speak is that I had gotten um, caught up in placing my value in my do as opposed to who I am and who I belong to. I'm a child of God and he uses me. He uses my gifts and my talents. I just have to allow myself to be used and not keep myself in a box. You know, I I have MD behind my name, but there are 18 other initials behind my name. And if I even strip all 20 initials away from my name, Rob, I am still Cherie. And I still have tons of testimonies. I still have tons of knowledge that has blessed not only individuals, but blessed organizations. And again, being open to having a new vision and a new path for your life creates so many opportunities. You know, I tell people that sometimes when we, you know, life has a way of bringing us to a point where we, where we need to make a fresh start. Um, and I think when that happens, a lot of times fear is what stands in our way. But there there comes a time when you have to appreciate and realize that there may be a dream, a vision, and an assignment for your life. Maybe you want to write a new book. Maybe you want to start a new business. Uh, maybe you want to get your finances uh, under control. Whatever it is that you want to do, this could be your time right now. Your time to get up and get on with your dream, your vision, your assignment, your life, because it belongs to you. On this journey in life, we have to be comfortable with uncertainty and improvisation. And when that happens, we will live wisely and well, not in spite of our troublesome journey, Rob, but because of it. Okay, you are preaching to the choir. Like, I I don't want to have to put a hand up and give you an amen or anything, but you know, I I will also give you, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, just a little bit ago, um, I tapped myself on the nose, okay? And this is my, I'll explain it to you. When somebody hits something on the nose, like that's it right here. You hit it on the nose. You nailed it. Okay. So I am, I'm appreciating where you're coming from. You and I are, we're birds of a feather. We really coming at things from a very similar place. So let's talk a little bit about the things that you were able to accomplish. So you're, you go and you become a CSP and you know, you're in an elite company of like 600 other people that have that 
um, designation. And then you you wrote a book. Um, what's the name of your book? And um, you can make the announcement that you are also a best-selling author, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes I am. Uh, I wrote my book. It's actually my memoir. Uh, it's called When Everything Changed, My Journey from Physician to Patient. Um, and it is really is a real-life tale that exposes all of my vulnerabilities to an onslaught of trials that would make any woman or man real in defeat. Um, it, it is a, it's a, it, it, it reveals a roller coaster ride, that emotional roller coaster ride that I went through that took me from self-examination to self-discovery and left me face to face with myself, um, my power and my God. And I didn't want to write a book that was just woesy, woesy me. And I didn't necessarily want to write a book that was a self-help. I wanted something that bridged the combination of the two, something that shared my story very raw, very real, the, the conflicts that you deal with with family when there is a life-threatening diagnosis, um, what it's like to experience a life-threatening diagnosis while watching your mom die, um, the, 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 the expected help from friends and family that you looked for that did not come from the sources that you expected. I mean, so it's real. But in addition to exposing that, I also now being on the other side, am able to offer tips what you can do to avoid the pitfalls that I made. People feel that just because I'm a physician, that when I got the diagnosis, that I knew everything to do, that I did things right, that, you know, that it didn't impact me. But as much. But in some instances, it at impacted me with a greater onslaught when it was first stated because I have knowledge about what that will entail. I knew what chemo would entail from a physiological perspective. And so this book, which is available on my website at www.drsheriemd.com, but is also available at Amazon. I encourage everyone to go out to Amazon and get it. Um, it's a very quick read if you sit down uh, with it. I wanted something that women and men could just carry it. Men could put it in, fold it and put it in their back pockets or a woman could put it in her pocketbook. Uh, you sit down with it and within four hours you'll be done with it. But you will be left not just with self-help um, and instruction from uh, if you face cancer perspective. You will be able to see yourself if you've had to have any conflict of divorce, relationship, uh, loss of a parent, a major illness, loss of a career, loss of a child. If you have experienced a loss in any kind of way and you're looking for steps on how to approach it, deal with it and move on from it, then my book would be able to help you. You Again, um, to me, loss and um, limitation are a naturally occurring part of the human condition. It's something that... <laughs> If you live long enough, you're going to go through this. You're going to have this experience. And what you're doing is you're talking, you're using your story as kind of the the bridge to the universal understanding that life happens. And yes. when life happens, we all deal with difficult situations and you have a choice. And really, ultimately, what you're saying, and at least what I hear you say, is the choices that you make, what you choose to focus on, what you choose to do are what makes the difference in how you live. So as all of this happens, you you kind of become, you describe yourself as a queen, right? How did, how did you get to, how did you get to be the queen and what is the name of your kingdom? Okay. 
It's interesting. So actually, a very uh, dear colleague of mine, business colleague of mine, she was the one that gave me the title of queen. And she, um, I, I have developed a blueprint. When I work with individuals, individually, groups, couples, or organizations where we're working with different departments, there, there's a shift, a change where they need to do things differently and accept the loss of maybe half of their um, uh, HR or half of the employees because there's been downsizing. How do these individuals cope with losing dear friends that they worked with, but now also having to cope with taking on their work with the same amount of pay? So there's always these transitions. And so I developed a, uh, a blueprint of how to let go and live today and every day. And I share and modify that blueprint uh, depending upon the audience. But again, it is from an approach of doing a careful reconsideration of what you still have rather than what you've lost in order to bring a new dream or vision into view. And so my business colleague said, you know, my gosh, you have presented this not only so many in so many different arenas across the U.S. but and abroad. She goes, you know what? You are the queen of how to let go and live today and every day. And I said, you know what? I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hey, that's a good kingdom to be the queen of, right? Yeah, I, you know, that's right. If you if you've got to have your your designated land, that's a that's a great one. I listen, Sherry. Just real quick, um, you've not only have you done all of this, but you've also gone on to do your own nonprofit. Just in a, a minute or two, can you tell me about that nonprofit and what's going on there? Absolutely. Well, you remember I told you I had lymphedema and in my travels speaking, I saw thousands of individuals who were not properly treating their lymphedema. Many of them didn't even know what they had. And many of these individuals that were suffering were there was a greater proportion in minority in amongst the minority populations. So I decided I needed to, to create something different. And so I established the Live Today Foundation, which is a nonprofit 501c3 nonprofit organization that does three things. One, we educate physicians uh, on one how to properly diagnose uh, lymphedema and make them aware of the psychosocial impacts of lymphedema. You know, as a physician, I didn't think about the, the increased financial cost of having to buy two sets of compression garments every year, buying a whole new wardrobe because one arm is bigger than the other. I didn't think about how embarrassing it is to come in with a garment that doesn't look too pretty, but you're at a cocktail party and it's past cocktails and you're the one with the, you know, with this glove on, you know. So we educate physicians, uh, we educate patients about what they have and the importance of treatment. But then number three, we provide free compression garments to under-resourced cancer patients and survivors living with lymphedema because many of them are taking, you know, uh, hormone treatments, you know, for five or 10 years, uh, taking some form of medication after their treatment. That's an expense. They don't need the added expense of buying compression garments. So we provide free compression garments. That is fantastic. Listen, Cherie Prentice, you have been phenomenal. I really appreciate you sharing your story and you're doing great work. I, you already mentioned this, but let's mention it again. Your website again is? www.drsheriemd.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-I-M-D.com. And for the nonprofit, it is www.live-today.org. That's L-I-V-E hyphen today.org. All right, beautiful. And I will put links to both of those down in the show notes so that people can find that. And I'd 
throw anything else in there that I can think of where people can connect with you. Cause that you're, you're doing good work. And really, I think lymphedema is something that a lot of people don't know about. And as such, you bring an attention to it is, is wonderful. Cherie, this has been wonderful. It is time now for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for this? I am ready. Okay. What really makes you angry? What really makes me angry? I would say a person uh, making a vow and not keeping it. Okay. So like promise breakers. Yeah. Promise breakers. Makes me angry. Um, So what is your favorite game or sport to either play or watch? Ooh, my favorite, my favorite game to play, and I would say probably with my, with my husband, because we're so competitive, is actually Jenga. Okay. (laughs) And I'm assuming that you are a little bit more like me in that, like, if you're going to bother to play the game, you might as well try and win, right? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Great. All right. Last question for you is you're... You're from Chicago. Are you still in Chicago? I live in Chicago in the summer. Ah, okay. uh, in so, South Florida in winter. <laughs> smart woman. So tell me, in either one of the two places that you live, what is the the best local restaurant that you would say this is this is where you would need to go and get kind of the taste of the town, or this is where I I would take you because you're my friend and I think this is a wonderful place to eat. Lou Malnati's Pizza in Chicago. Pick any location but the one on State Street, located about 8th and State. That's the one to go to. Wonderful. All right. And any recommendations down in South Florida? In South Florida, I would say the main place, oh, Catfish Dewey's. Catfish Dewey's. Uh, Catfish Dewey's in Fort Lauderdale. That works. Cherie, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you being on. Again, to all my listeners, thanks for being here. Thanks for helping us get through the first year. I appreciate you bearing with all of our bumps and learning curves. And just thank you. I will remind you again, as always, that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody.